Welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and I am joined once again by Kevin, the Corona Killer Hume. What's up, buddy? How you doing, dude? Good. Um, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I understand that you got yourself um, the first dose of the vaccine recently. I did. I have been pricked in the arm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, You're I managed. Prick, yes, I know. Um, I managed to uh, score an appointment last week um, at the Moscone Center. So the big DMV one that I was talking about a few months ago. Um, and it was a very DMV like experience in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I got there. Uh, my appointment was on the 17th, uh, which is St. Patrick's Day. And um, it was like the first year, the first anniversary of the stay at home in, in you know, being enacted. So yeah. one year later, um, I got in line uh, 15 minutes early and the place was swarming. Uh, mm. There were so many people in line for the 3.30 appointments, for um, the appointments just after and people waiting for like their shots from before things like that. There was just a ton of people, uh, which is kind of how I expected this place to look once I knew they were saying that they could do like 10,000 shots a day. Um, so they basically just, you know, you get snaked, weeded through the line. They check you in through your phone. They scan like the little smart, you know, the uh, QR code in your phone and then you go down uh, to the basement or whatever, the lower level of Moscone, and you're just snaked through a really big line. Um, and then you go into the A, B, C, or D section, and then you wait until you get called. And um, and then they, they stick a microchip inside of you. Exactly, yes. Um, <laughs> I can talk to nanobots now. <laughs> um, no, but um, I got there um right when there was a little bit of like a a changeover with the you know they had to reload the vaccines and the syringes and stuff so there was a little bit of like an extra wait time but it was just like i i knew what was happening because i you know i've been to a couple of these and shot photos before so i just knew by taking extra time i was like they're reloading you know i knew what they were doing but yeah so they set me down and um mm. i finally get I was not wearing the right shirt. I just, you know, it came out of nowhere. So I was not wearing a very good shirt. So I basically like pulled my arm out through my, my neck, <laughs> my shirt, which is a long sleeve shirt. Um, and they, you know, stick me. And I sat for 15, 20 minutes until I could go and felt a little woozy in the initial aftermath. And then I just, made sure that I stopped and grabbed a snack and drank some water. And then I felt pretty much normal after that. Um, and then the next day I just, I just had like maybe some arm soreness for like a day or two. So nothing okay. too crazy to report. I don't know if I think I've heard that the first dose isn't that bad and you get kind of sick after the second, if you get the two dose vaccine. Yeah. So I'm, kind of expecting that it might be a little bit more brutal on the second shot. Uh, so we'll see. Um, but man, um, yeah, like it felt good to get a little bit of protection from this since I'm, you know, out there at, you know, on the front lines getting yeah. coverage taking and photos, taking public shots. transit to get to where I get to go and yes. all that stuff. So it just feels like some peace of mind has been achieved after a year of, of total uncertainty and panic and all that stuff. Well, I'm happy for you. Um, and uh, as of today, as we're recording this late in the day on Thursday, the 25th, uh, we just got word that um, by early April, mid-April, uh, they're saying everybody should be able to get a um, shot, 16 and up. So there's a story on SF Weekly right now. By the time this podcast goes up, it might be a little bit further down the page, and you probably heard of it already by that point anyway. But, hey, that's that's good news. Um, it's very good. Uncle Joe coming through. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> whatever. Fuck it. I'm giving him all the credit. Good. Uncle Joe. 
Good. Uncle Joe the rescue. Um, <laughs> he did it, man. <laughs> he did it. He did it. <laughs> Kevin, you and I probably talked about this before. Are, uh, but I'm getting old and I can't. My memory's not as good as it used to be. <laughs> you, you and I are zillennials yes. with a with an X, with an X, yeah, pronounced like a Z, yeah, as in Xerxes, exactly. that big bald dude from Three Hundred. Exactly. <laughs> Remember that movie? I do. Uh, we talked about long, that movie before. I know. A long time ago. Come back to me. That movie's weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it holds up. I don't know. I mean, it Last gave, gave Zack Snyder a career. Yeah. Sex scene was pretty sexy. Yeah. And like lots of high flying acrobatics. But the, the, uh, the gen, the X that we're, we're zillennials with an X because we're on the edge of gen X and the millennial generation. It means I think that we can remember a time when a voicemail was something people left on the tape machine attached to your landline, but we are also really pissed off when people actually leave us a voicemail these days. <laughs> Funny thing, I didn't I didn't grow up with uh we did not have an answering machine in our house for the longest time. Mm, for the longest that's good. time. It was maybe weird. yeah. Kind of good. I mean, like, I think that's the reason why it's such a pain. Like, that's the reason I'm upset when people do leave me voicemails. It's like, really? The missed call was the message, man. I'm, I'll call you back. <laughs> I mean, I guess unless you're like at the doctor's office or something. Yeah. And I don't have your number saved. Then yeah. it's okay. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I have to cold call stuff to arrange photos and, you know, get access and stuff. So, like, I do have that debate with, do I reach out via text or do I call me message and stuff? And, you know, if it's important enough, I leave a voicemail, but I know that right. it's becoming more difficult, uh, for even for myself, but I think the younger generations have a harder time of doing that. You know, they reach out via text and other things. So. Yeah, it works. There's another kind of zillennial, this one with a Z, a lot like uh, a lot of the staff at SF weekly fall into that category like 25-ish, I think these are folks that are old enough to understand sometimes hangovers last two days, but maybe not old enough to understand that sometimes pizza hangovers without any booze at all can last two days <laughs> or more. <laughs> if we're doing that, like do uh, drink anything you just ate like crap? Yeah, and feel like crap for a couple days. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the norm these like, days, unfortunately. A couple, you have like get too many slices of round table, and you're just like, oh, yep. that was a mistake. Yep. Pizza, pizza hits hard in the wrong way now. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Gen Z, the subject of this week's issue, the Gen Z issue, Kevin, of SF Weekly. We did it. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. You know, speaking of 300 ridiculous action movies and Gen Z, the new James Bond no Time to Die features a theme song sung by Billie Eilish. She's Gen Z. Yeah. I haven't listened to that, the song yet, and I've been meaning to, because I do I do like Billie Eilish. Yeah. She was at um, she was at Outside Lands recently. I think you she might have. She was in 2018. Were you at that yeah. one? Yeah. I shot photos of her. I, I really liked her when she came out. Some of the newer stuff has kind of lost me a bit, but I've been, I read a really good New York Times article um, I think it was last week that was right before or right after the Grammys that sort of um, delved into how Gen Z and uh, stuff like Instagram and influencers and streaming has changed how music is composed, how songs don't be, how songs are no longer structured with verse, chorus, verse, and how it's more like you know, hook one, hook two, hook three, and things like that. And obviously bad guy was one, it was like the first one they, they delved into with how there's mm. not really a chorus. It's the hook. And then there's the second hook, which is that little key, you know, that little boop, 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 boop thing that it does, mm -hmm. you know? So it went into that and a few other songs. And just also how about how the average song length time has gone from like, like three twenty or three thirty, like a, like a decade ago down to like almost under two minutes, under three minutes now. Yeah. Like it's gone down yeah. a lot from like three, four minutes down to like two thirty is like almost the average time. 
Well, I was noticing that when I was um, uh, getting acquainted with this week's, with the subject of this week's cover story, uh, this week on the cover, our Gen Z cover, we have um, the very talented San Francisco-born Golden Landis Von Jones, um, grew up in the Lakeview neighborhood, uh, which on Google Maps is called Ocean View, but um, you know, if you, if you live there, you call it Lakeview. Um, better known as 24K Golden. He's a 20-year-old singer, MC, arranger. He had a hell of a year, um, not because of the pandemic so much, but more like in spite of it, after relocating to Los Angeles, dropping out of USC, landing a coveted spot on XXL's freshman class of 2020, he is preparing to drop his studio debut, wow. El Dorado. Um, by the time you listen to this, it'll be out. And, you know, if you even listen to any kind of pop radio anywhere, you've probably heard 24K Golden. He's got songs with um, Jay Balvin and Justin Bieber. That's his biggest song, Mood. Um He's got, I think, um, I think he might be on a Machine Gun Kelly song. Um, he, on this new album, he's teaming up with Future. He's teaming up with Sway Lee of, I can't ever say that, Ray Sramerd. I don't Ear know. Drummers. You know, you know that, you know, the Black Beatles song. I'm not sure, man. <laughs> uh, you know, I ain't got no type. I ain't got no type. Oh, okay. Those guys. Okay. Yeah. Um, that girl is a real crowd pleaser. Maybe. That's the Black Beatles. Okay. Right. Anyway, some some bona fide stars. Anyway, he's he's on the cover. Yeah. Um, interesting stuff. And and you know, speaking of the New York Times, he was on the cover of the New York Times on not the cover, the cover of the music section, or at least on their website. We got scooped by the New York Times. Is what I'm saying. Damn. Um, we were about to break this story, and they. They weaseled in there. God damn it. Most powerful paper in the country. Dang it. <laughs> but yeah, like, and, and the short songs and like um, relying on, you know, social media in, in a way that, you know, we wouldn't have, you know, people like you and me who are, you know, comfortable with social media wouldn't have even imagined. Yeah, I really don't know too much more about, you know, what I've read in this issue and, you know, what I've read in the New York Times um, about these Zoomers call them zoomers i think that's the cool thing to do right <laughs> if you ask if that's the cool thing to do it's probably not the cool thing yeah to do. pretty um, much <laughs> but the zoomers gen z all i can say for certain and we've talked about this before is that they dress a lot like my cool mid-90s babysitter and they spend all their time on some kind of clock app on their phone i believe it's called tiktok <laughs> you know a little bit yes but no, seriously, TikTok. Um, yeah, like twenty that played a big role in Twenty Four K Golden's rise. Um, a song, one of one of his songs, one of his early songs that caught on, um, got kind of blew up on TikTok because some other influencer found it, liked it, and made a dance video to it. And like that's that's how things happen now. Yeah, like that's exactly what the article was talking about that I read. It was all about you know how people will find stuff. And put it on a TikTok video, and it just blows up. Yeah, like that one band. Um, that one band. What's the name of that band? Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one band. That one band, you know, that put out that that one album called Rumors. That was like one song after another after another, and they were all hits. Yeah, but that's lost on this generation, man. And the fact that yeah. that song had what, like a thousand percent ups in streaming or something after that had, you know, had gone through. Yeah. It was insane. <laughs> and then, um, and then that dude, like, um, it was it Cap not Capri Sun. What was the, um, ocean? Yeah. Prime ocean spray, dude? ocean spray. Ocean spray. Didn't they, didn't ocean spray like buy the guy a car? I don't know if they did. That's awesome. <laughs> Cause I think the story goes that he was like on his way to work and he had to go on a, on a skateboard cause like his car was broken down yeah. and then you know, ocean spray was like sweet. And they like, you know, Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, I mean, he just had a vibe dude. Like that's just how things work nowadays. Yeah. Hashtag vibe. Yeah. And now, you know, and we're talking and I'm and I've said the words ocean spray multiple times now. So to win for them. Sponsor this pod. 
drink oceans. <laughs> um okay yeah so gen z we dive into it in this week's issue it's on the stands right now um you know 24k golden good looking kid on the cover read all about his rise read about um the gen z uh cohort that is maybe possibly moving into uh san francisco in the wake of all um us geezers leaving because we're having kids and um we're we can't go to the bars and we probably shouldn't be going to the bars anyway. Cause God, we got to wake up tomorrow and um, you know, everyone clearing out of San Francisco, um, the, the fresh, the young blood, the, the fresh blood is coming in. We also have an explainer on what Gen Z is. Um, Benjamin Schneider reached out to uh, the experts, the people who know everything about a generation marketers. <laughs> They learn about um, us through our phones. Yeah, I talked to a bunch of um, people who market directly to Gen Z, and, and including like a firm that is all like Gen Z folks. Um, it's really interesting if you check out their website. It does not like there's there's all there's all kinds of backlash, like you know, not in a bad way, but like you know, a new generation tries to kind of um, establish itself and what it wants to look like aesthetically and stuff, and like all of the like minimalist um, millennial vibes, they're like pushing back on that hard. I think that's, you know, that's why you see the Hawaiian shirts. That's why you see like crazy fonts um, as opposed to like, you know, like a, like a grapefruit pastel with like a sans serif font with, with like Helvetica. one Helvetica. <laughs> with Helvetica and like one palm tree in the, you know, that would have been, or like a nice house plant that would have been like, that's like my ideal vibe. And it's frustrating because like, I'm actually finally getting to the point where like, I like I bought, I paid money for a couch, Kevin. Like I, I have houseplants and I'm like, I'm starting to look on like dwell and fucking apartment therapy and, and dwell and apartment therapy are telling me in my apartment, which for the past 10 years would have looked great. is not stylish anymore. It's no. not, um, it's too minimalist, I guess. I don't know. Don't listen to that man. Do you, what are you going to do? I am going to do me. So Julian Robles, uh, uh, contributor, wrote that story on 24K Golden, and he got to sit down and have a virtual face-to-face chat with him a week or so ago. And we recorded it for your listening pleasure. Stay tuned. We'll be back with 24K Golden. a contributor for the weekly. Today we are speaking to 24K Golden, a Bay Area-born rapper and singer who has, over the last year, exploded beyond any regional identifiers or genre labels. Before he had even finished his freshman year at USC, 24K Golden's songs were landing on the charts and racking up millions of streams. Last year, his single Mood stayed at number one in dozens of countries for multiple weeks. He's released an EP, he's made the XXL freshman class cover, his music streams now number in the billions, and later this month, he is set to release his debut album, El Dorado. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, I feel like a WWE wrestler after that introduction, like, three-time heavyweight <laughs> title champion, number one in the world. That feels good, man. Thank you. I was about to say the same thing. It's a long list of accolades for... For two years, less than two years, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How's it feel leading up into this this new album? Um, I felt probably every emotion on the spectrum of emotions leading up to this album over like the past year and a half. You know, two years that we've worked on it. It's been 
some of the most fun moments of my life, this process, but also some of the most challenging and difficult, you know, like I'm, I'm only 20 years old, so I'm still growing up and understanding what it's like to be a man, you know, to be a, an adult. At, but at the same time, I got to figure out how to be a, a superstar and a businessman and a, a, a finance advisor and a, a marketer and a, a actor all at the same time, you know? So it's been crazy, but I'm enjoying the ride. I'm enjoying the ride. Yeah. I know you've been making music for a really long time since since high school, but uh, does it feel, Does I mean, does all of this feel very sudden for you in some ways still? Yeah, I, I remember uh, as mood was blowing up, it was like every week I unlocked a new like perk of life. Like, oh, well, boom, a week went by. Now all of a sudden I'm getting free designer clothes. Like the shit that I've been looking at online since I was like a middle school or high schooler, now these brands are just sending me stuff. Like, where did that happen? Like, boom, all of a sudden I'm in Atlanta and I'm in the studio with Future and like, free bang gang and then directly after i'm going to meet young thug for the first time i'm like whoa like where did all this where did all this come from you know so yeah it's definitely felt sudden but i'm i'm a, I'm a fast learner what was the most surprising one of those things where you're just like i did not expect this to be part of what blowing up was about um i think like Probably one of the most just impactful moments on me was in January. I went to New York and uh, I pulled up for a session with Fabio and ASAP mm -hmm. Rocky just happened to be there. And I'm like uh, uh, very inspired and influenced by ASAP Rocky in my in my early years, you know, from probably like 2011 to like late high school, you know, like he was just somebody I admired the swag and we was all just chilling, you know, I, I wasn't trying to be a, a fan of none. So I'm just playing it cool, you know, being cordial, chopping it up. And this kid pulls up a beat and Rocky starts freestyling. And it was like a lull in the beat. So I just start freestyling and I just oh, kept no going. Invite. You just oh. hopped in. And, and we went back and forth for like 15, 20 minutes. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just freestyle with one of my rap idols, you know. So that that was a, a really beautiful moment to me. Wow, that's really cool. Were you in the back of your head thinking like you were freaking out a little bit like damn ASAP Rocky ASAP Rocky's right here gotta look gotta look cool <laughs> yeah definitely I mean you know I was just there was definitely like a, a little like some nerves like when I just first like oh shit I did not expect this to like really happen but yeah. I was just in the present moment like yo I I gotta get this next bar off you know I gotta keep this freestyle going so I thought. That that made put me at ease uh, in a sense. That's cool. It, so, it sounds like you found your spot. You found your place there. Um, mm -hmm. So one thing I want to turn the conversation back toward uh, your beginnings in San Francisco, and I'm just kind of curious. Uh, how would you describe that period? What was it like growing up in San Francisco as uh, just a normal person, also as a musician? I think growing up in San Francisco played a huge role in my success today because San Francisco gave me the big city vibes, but it's small enough to, you know, not get into too much trouble or to get too lost, you know, like, like if I was in New York or LA or something, you know, it, it felt like New York with training wheels on it. And it was so multicultural that I really gained perspective in a sense that San Francisco is uh, built of all these little micro cities, basically all these very distinct communities in different areas, but they're so close to each other that you can't just be stuck in your community. Like if right. you're in LA living in just Beverly Hills and not doing anything else, like the city is so interwoven with its differences that you're kind of forced to, to, to see all different people from all different walks of life, all different cultures, all different economic classes. And I think having that that variety of experience and of friends and, and teachers and peers, like just help me understand life as a whole a lot better. Right. And then once you, once you got going to LA, I mean, that's where everything really took off. It's, you know, I don't need to tell you that, but I'm curious if you think, if you'd stayed in the Bay and kind of taken the, the route of the, doing your career regionally first, 
do you think it would have taken you longer to get as big as you are now? Or do you think you maybe wouldn't have gotten as big? I a hundred percent, you know, I feel like I maxed out everything that I could do in the Bay at that point, by the time I was leaving, um, by the time I was leaving high school, you know, because the music I was making was not typical of that of the Bay area. It didn't sound like Bay area music. So a lot of people that, you know, unless you were like a young kid and, and you were coming up and your tastes were still being developed, a lot of people were just hesitant to embrace my sound off the bat. Like I remember like like outlets like Dizzler and All Bay and stuff like that, like they weren't showing me any love until the last year, basically, the last six months. And I can't be mad at them because, you know, everything happens for a reason. But I definitely felt like what I was doing was so global that I needed to go to a place that was going to let me reach the globe. Right. Yeah. And your influences, they seem to be so broad, like even your style, so eclectic. Um So one thing I'm interested in, this is kind of a deep cut here. I was like doing all sorts of like research, Uh, but way back when you were in high school, you were talking about, you know, your business aspirations. And you said that you wanted to teach minorities and uh, people from low-income communities financial literacy. This is sort of one of your social goals. I'm curious, do you still have this in mind as a musician? And like, how do you, how do you like hope to achieve that as a, as an entertainer, as an artist now, as opposed to as an entrepreneur? A hundred percent. I think that there's got to be, there's a time and place for everything. And for me to, to fully max it out, like if I started now, I'd probably fuck it up more than I would do any good. But <laughs> like being able to like go from LA to the Bay and kind of see how my city's changing and the, the Bay in general is changing has like given me a lot more guidance on the best way to execute it. Like something I thought about the other day is like, what if we combine that financial literacy program with coding lessons for, you know, mm-hmm. kids in low income neighborhoods and minority kids? Like there's a there's a there's a, a a huge gap between the supply and demand of computer science, like coders, people that know how to do that. And there's yeah. a bunch of kids in these communities that don't really even see that as an option of, of a way out because there's no resources to for them to do that. So it's like if you I, I, I remember seeing all these like boot camps and stuff like that for for like, yo, join this coding school for two years and we'll guarantee you a job after. Imagine if you start these kids off at, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and they're doing it for five years and they're getting the the financial literacy skills so that when they get the money, they know what to do with it that has a power to really impact communities in a huge way. So I'm just trying to figure out what is the best way I can make change and then go do right. it. Yeah. It's also interesting to think about like the music overlap with that. Right. Cause like so many people start off, um, you know, making beats and stuff on like bootlegged, like bootleg programs. And like, in some way you're kind of teaching yourself coding, you're teaching yourself like these algorithms, you know, to make music though. Yeah, I learned a lot about technology from pirating video games on my computer as like an <laughs> 11-year-old, you know? So I'm like, computers is, the internet really in general gives you the opportunity to 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 change your circumstances in no way other before. Like, I owe a large part of my career to to my ability to, you know, navigate this digital landscape better than my right. peers. Yeah. Um, and that's something that is something I want to ask you more about uh, a little bit later about like your, your kind of social media and internet savvy, um, but kind of moving ahead. So for people who, who don't know your story, you ended up going to USC and that's where you really blew up. Um, and you were studying business there on a full scholarship. Is there anything from that business education that you found that was like immediately applicable to hip hop, to like the, the industry side of things? So Mm, I had to do my GEs first semester, so I didn't yeah. get to take any business class until second semester. Um, okay. But it was it was kind of crazy because I had already ran like three, four businesses by the time that I got to, to to college, whether it was reselling watches that I bought online at the sneaker conventions or like taking people's <laughs> shoes and restoring them or, you know, selling tickets and merch for my shows. That by the time I was in these business classes, 
I felt like I was just gaining vocabulary for concepts that I already knew. Like I distinctly yeah. remember the last day, um, the last day that I went to class before I was like, fuck it, I'm done with this shit. I had a midterm for my business class and I did it, uh, I did it at like, I, I was just, I was so done with school at that point. I go in and I finish my midterm in like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, like not even really checking my work, just kind of breezing through it. And I go up and leave and all the kids look at me like, yo, this kid think he the next Steve Jobs or something. What are you doing? Just walking <laughs> out of class. And, and I never went back to class after that, but I remember checking my grade a couple months later and I realized I got like a B plus on it. And I'm like, oh, I would have been great at school if I really wanted to do it. But I don't know. Yeah. A lot of these things are inherent. So I didn't get the chance to pick up any specific technical lo- uh, technical knowledge that, that would help me at, at that time. Right. Um, and what about, so once you started into the music industry, do you think there's something that like young, speaking to like financial literacy, do you think there's something that like young artists and young like minority people of minority communities that they're not aware of once they start getting involved with this like I mean, traps bro, and things that there's there's a million it's like a fucking indiana jones movie bro if you don't know <laughs> what you're doing you about to get crushed by a boulder or fall into a pitfall like one thing that people don't know uh specifically about the music industry is it's different than any other entertainment industry in the sense of you getting paid right if you go do a movie right? And they give you a million dollars for a movie. That money is your money. You, you earn that money. You did the movie. That's yours, right? And the music business, if you sign a deal for a million dollars, that's a loan. All the money that your music makes after that point is going towards paying back that a million dollars. And the crazy, excuse me. And the crazy part is it's not like once your music makes a million dollars, you start getting your royalty off of it. Let's say you have a 20% royalty, right? And that would be really, really good for an artist, which is crazy. 20% of your earnings is is considered good as a as a as is considered a good deal, right? So yeah. so you have to make five million dollars to to just even out the balance if they gave you a million dollars because you only the money that goes towards paying back your balance has to come from the money generated by your percent of your revenue, right? Right. So it's, it's basically, if you get 20%, you have to make five times the amount that they gave you just to break even. And the whole right. time the record label's eating the the other four times return that you're making for them because they're getting their 80% uh, every dollar. So it's crazy. Right. And oftentimes, especially in rap music, people feel like, oh, I just got a bunch of money. Let me buy a chain. Let me buy a car. Let me buy some designer sneakers. And they got all this material things, but they don't have any money. So they're kind of stuck if their music doesn't go crazy, if they're not getting crazy money from shows or other ways to sustain that lifestyle. Like people spend way more than they have to maintain this appearance because we all are kind of trapped into thinking if you don't have a chain, you're not popping. Right. Um, this is really interesting. I feel like this is barely becoming part of the conversation with like the Kanye a few, maybe like a year ago, released his documents on Twitter with like all of his royalty statements and people were kind of like unpacking that. Um, I don't but know what's you... crazy, Kanye technically had a great deal. Kanye had an incredible deal, which is crazy. Or like uh, Freddie Gibbs. Freddie Gibbs has like the, the big deal. I don't know if you listen to his music, but he, he's on, on his last album. He's talking about he has like the... He gets eighty five percent, which is kind of, kind of wild. That's nuts, um, but, but that's at, like kind of unheard of. It is, but at the same time, I'm learning that can be a bad thing too. Because if your label feels like they're not making enough money off of you, they they'll rather put that money into somebody else. And and now your video budgets are lower, your marketing budgets are lower because it's like, well, hey, well, there's no point in even investing in him because our returns are going to be way lower than if we put our money into somebody that we got over on, on a fucked up deal. Right. It sounds like a, like a challenging like space for people to have to deal with. So, I mean, with this in mind, I'm curious, you, you do talk a lot about like having this like business instinct in yourself. Who is an artist that you look up to, not necessarily for their artistry, but like their business acumen and the way they've like built themselves up. Mm. I think, Jay-Z, really. Jay-Z is the epitome of 
of a successful artist slash businessman because he was a businessman before he was an artist. And I feel like a lot of that is within me too. Like Jay-Z was out here, even if, I don't know the specifics of his deals back then, but even if he wasn't in a good deal, he was leveraging his position as an artist to create better deals and strategic partnerships with brands and artists and media companies and these corporations so that, hey, it don't matter if he's only getting 18% because he's Jay-Z and he figured out how to make his personal brand more valuable than his music record deal you know, like right. that, that man figured it out. Yeah. Uh, one place I see a lot of your business acumen shining, uh, your brand awareness is in like your master of social media. So like I was checking out, for example, this like road to El Dorado series you have on YouTube leading up to your, your album, these kind of teasers or like the way you have songs drop on TikTok or the way you're chilling with TikTok stars. Um, and there's a lot of synergy, especially I notice with your music videos where like the song always has this visual component. And I'm really curious at one point in the music making process, do you start thinking about visuals and about music videos specifically? So for me, everything has to start from the song itself, from the music itself. If you try and make your song fit your vision of a video, I think you're going to end up with uh, a not as good song and, and, if, you're, if your song isn't that good, but your video is crazy, it doesn't even matter because why is somebody going to watch it over and over again if the song is bad, you know? So for me, everything starts from the music. And um, and and from there, it's like once I make the song, it's like like making the song is like being in a trance, you know? I'm in the zone. I just got to figure out how can I make this the best song possible? And once the song is done, I can step back and say, all right. Let me sit with this song. Let me reflect. Okay, this is the kind of visuals I'm getting from it. Like, I, I got to, the the art form, the music is the most pure thing, and that has to be the most, has to remain the most pure, and everything else develops from that rather than the other way around. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, continuing on the, on the music video question, um, just for my own curiosity, what's like one of your favorite all-time music videos by another artist? And also actually on top of that, what's a music video that you really dig that you think is underrated? Let's be getting more attention. Ooh, Ooh. I, that's, that's the thing, bro. Like I, it's hard for me to, to there, there's probably only a handful of videos that I really, that have really stuck with me just because I feel like for for the amount of money that gets spent on videos, people aren't really that creative. Like I've seen the Lambo with the girl, with the, with the pool party. I have seen that video a million times, bro. Like I don't want to see it again. So, so when I think of videos that, that inspire me or stand out to me, it's a videos that create a world of their own. So stuff like Busta Rhymes, put your hands where my eyes can see them. Like Kanye West, like the whole, runaway 30 minute movie he did for my beautiful dark twisted fantasy um those those i mean off the rip those two stick with me the most for sure right and underrated videos mm, hmm i don't know i, <laughs> I really don't know i was rewatching uh kanye's um black skinhead video a few days ago. I think that one's a little underrated because the graphics are like kind of PS2 era and it's just so simple. There's something kind of weird about it. I'm like, okay, this is this is tight. This is like, no one had thought about this because it's so like retro looking, you know? I got to rewatch that joint. Hold on, I'm adding that to my tab right now. Check that one out. I think I think Kanye's makes some of the best videos though, 100%. Yeah, oh, oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, he's he's like the full vision, full package, everything. Um, another thing I, I, I've been curious about looking at your music is like a lot of your success also has also come from working across genres. Um, it seems like you've been remixed by like people doing like the Latin thing. You've been remixed by people doing club beats, uh, but also yourself, you've worked across so many genres and with people across, um, different fields. And like, I'm thinking of like the clean bandit TikTok uh, song. Are there other genres outside your comfort zone that you're still like looking to explore or that like you explore on this new album? Um, 
Mm, that's a great question. I think with this new album, I'm explore. I've I figured out a way to combine the genres that I'm that I'm that I've become familiar with and that I've learned um, about in the past two years. Um, so so it's the rap, it's the rock, it's the alternative, it's the pop. I figured out how to combine those sounds into something that's uniquely me. But I think that's the next step of my career is finding the new sounds that I've yet to explore and 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 just adding to my to my toolbox of of different sonics and flows and melodies that I can draw from as an artist. Yeah. What was um what was the process like for this album? Like trying to think about music as a as a full project and even comparing to like your EP for example. Yeah, so I I was I was really really hard on myself with this one in terms of song selection like there are songs that could be top 10 records for other artists that we just cut off the album cuz we're like no it's not good enough or it's redundant or something like that because El Dorado it's it's a concept that I've had in mind for years at this point so I wanted it to be reflected on how 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 I wanted it to be as great in reality as I envisioned it in my mind and and the things that I was really specific about is like I wanted to have a cohesive sound like dropped out of college was great and it explored a lot of different sounds but it wasn't cohesive you know there was different every song it was more like a mixtape or a playlist you know which makes sense it was an EP but I took the I took the 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 notion of being a debut album very serious and I wanted it to feel cohesive and conceptual so everything is is just kind of blends together and and it goes to tell a story and it's just like it doesn't sound like anything else out there you know I think there's a lot of influences and inspiration from different sources but when you put it all together it's like you never tasted that flavor before right um what's uh what's one of the songs on there that you haven't released that you're like really excited about or you kind of just like did something really different. Um, probably Where like fans like, might listen and they'll just be like, Oh, this is new golden. I, it's, it's so crazy to me because like, like I've been listening to my unreleased music and like for, for, for since I've been making it, you know, so I know what I'm capable of. And oftentimes I forget that the, the general public can only perceive what I've put out there, you know? So, so with right. this album, like, like one song I'm really excited about is called Company, right? And that's the one that I got Future on. And it's more of like, just like a ignorant banger, you know? <laughs> for, for lack of better words, it's, it's just something that, that once the world opens up, I think is going to be playing at the clubs everywhere and just people going to be vibing to it, grooving to it. But the song that follows it right after is called Love or Lust. And it's probably some of my best songwriting that I've ever done just in terms of flows and specifics. And it's like, it's got rap on it, but it's also like a pop song and the structure is crazy. So I'm just excited to showcase the, 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 the variety of music I'm able to make. That's cool. Um, I want to turn this back just a little bit to the beginning of our conversation. This is a hard swerve right here, but um, this idea of like the community, getting back to the community and financial literacy um, so I've seen on social media that you've posted about expressing your position against police brutality, systemic racism. Um, I'm also curious though, cause at the same time, you're someone who spent a lot of time in spaces like defined by like predominantly white culture and like exclusion and racism. And so like, I'm thinking of like Lowell High, which is in the news right now because of, um, kind of arguments happening about inclusivity. I'm thinking of USC or even joining a fraternity, joining T or TKE for people who uninitiated in the, the frat world. But for you, do you feel as though the musical communities that you're forming now are like a really stark contrast to the places that you've come from or the places you, you've been before? I think I've always lived a life of duality. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's like I went to low high school, but I grew up in Lakeview. So what I was like, the types of people that I was with in school versus back in my home community when I'm hanging out at a dream team were different. Same for like USC. Like I had a really strong core group of black friends, 
but we we all kind of invaded Teak. Like we all went in there together. So I yeah. think that I'm all about like bringing people together, and that's that's exactly what I'm doing with this with this album. Like attacking all these different genres and 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 collaborating with artists of you know just different different backgrounds and different cultures is allowing me to like the way the, this is my vision when you go to a 24k golden show you're going to see the, the 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 suburban kids standing next to the street dudes standing next to the emo kids standing next to the the moms that were bringing their kids to the show like <laughs> like I wanted to I want I want to be a a rallying point that everyone can come around and say yo this kid is trying to push something good into the world this kid is trying to bring people together and He's doing a grand, damn good job at it, and he's making something that we can all enjoy. That's gonna that's gonna bring us together. I think the things that bring different cultures together is food, music, and sex. Probably those are, are the three things. <laughs> so I'm working on the cooking show, but we got the music. But we got the music on lock right now, and that's that's always been my goal. Like whether I was at USC or Lola, whatever. Like I was always a kid that was friends with everybody, you know, like all the different cliques, not necessarily like conforming to one. And I think that's something that I'm proud of, of, and that I still hold true to this day. Yeah. That's, that's a, a really I, like noble ambition with the music. Um, I also, I wonder, does that put a lot of pressure on you kind of psychologically, like for you to be the bridge with so many different people, it's kind of like, what about looking out for, for yourself? That's that's a challenge that I've learned that I'm and I'm still am learning to 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 deal with now because being that bridge comes with many expectations from the people around you and when everybody's so different they have different expectations and it feel it can feel like you're getting pulled in a million ways sometimes so something that has been helping me is just focusing on Look, all the answers are within, you know, I know what I want. I know what I came here to set out to do. I know who I am. So I have to remain true to that and say, hey, if 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 you don't like what I'm doing, that's more of a you problem than it is a me problem, because I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm, I'm bringing into. I know what I'm trying to bring to life. And I think a lot of people that not not necessarily don't even dislike it, but they just don't understand where I'm coming from. So it takes right. time for people to adjust, just like how before the Bay Area didn't really understand the kind of music I was making. And now, like, a lot of the Bay Area people kind of champion me as like, yo, he's bringing attention to the Bay. He's repping the Bay and shining the light back over here. Do you think the Bay um, has, like, done a good job of adapting and, like, integrating new sounds? Or do you think it's a little, um, like, kind of fixed in its ways or, or inflexible? I think that Bay Area, we're we're very proud in in our culture. Bay Area people are proud to be from the Bay. I'm proud to be from the Bay. You're probably proud to be from the Bay. Like when people ask you where you're from, you're like, yo, the Bay. I'm from the Bay. When you see another person, it's like an instant connection. And that could be a double-edged sword because when we first started getting notoriety um, in the 90s and the early 2000s for the hyphy movement, people were like, oh, Finally, we're getting some recognition. So this is validation that what we're doing is the dopest shit ever. Let's keep doing it. And it's because of of, of that, I think it's been hard to dramatic, not even dramatically evolve, but consistently evolve over time compared to places like New York or Atlanta. Um, yeah, compared to places like New York or Atlanta, which seems to have right. a constantly evolving sound. Um, and I think that, you know, now people are more willing to to open their eyes to different sounds and different perspectives. And we have community figures like Big Rich and, and who runs Project Level that is, you know, pushing kids to just be free with their expression and do what they want. But, mm -hmm. but I think we still got a, a, a long ways to go. Cool. Uh, I mean, the last thing I was going to ask is just like, with all of this buzz going on around you and this album, um, how are you taking pot? I know you said you hopped out the shower right before this, this interview, but um, how are you taking like pause and just giving attention to yourself and kind of making sure you stay level and like the people in your life that help with that? 
it's it's something that you have to purposefully do. Like, like I really have to force myself sometimes to take those extra steps and that extra time to take care of myself because I'm at the point now where I'm 20 years old and there's dozens and dozens of people depending on me for their livelihood too, you know? So me being who I am, I want to make sure everyone around me is good, but I can't make sure everyone around me is good if I myself am not good. So that, right. that's just being cognizant of the fact and saying, okay, maybe today I'll, I'll just relax and watch anime or maybe I'll just watch Entourage or maybe I'll go to the beach for half an hour and just look at the water and be with my thoughts alone, you know, right. just figuring out what, what it is that, that helps me recharge and giving myself the time and permission to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to thank you so much for um, taking the time to talk to us today. It's been, it's been really great. Thank you for asking uh, thought provoking questions. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced by me, Nick Baroni. My inevitable co-host is Kevin Hume. Mike Huguenor is our audio engineer. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you next week.